When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Mike, co-host of Realistic Sustainability, the podcast, which you probably already know, but I'm also the author of A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life. That was the book that led to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and, well, even this show. It offers tips on promoting your positive footprint while decreasing your carbon footprint. So, if you want to read what started all of this, get A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life, available on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or just visit greeningyourlife.org for more information. Thank you for joining the sustainable movement and promoting a greener future. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. How you doing, brother? Good, good. How are you today? I am doing really well. Well, just so everybody knows, we're trying out something a little bit new. We are attempting to video this on Zoom. So if it sounds a little different than normal, that is why. So that maybe we can get some of the videos up online too. Yeah, um, I thought that was a really interesting concept. So I'm really looking forward to uh, how it turns out. Except for right now, my video stuff wants to eat my headset off my head. That's true. <laughs> so anyways, we probably should get to the point. This week, we want to talk about small living or tiny houses, if you will. There's a lot of movement going these days about shrinking your, your not only your carbon footprint, but even your living space and going a little bit smaller. I, on the other hand, have not done that to this point. I've always talked about how my house is, is just huge in many ways. But before we start, remember, a tiny house isn't necessarily always two or 300 square feet. It's small. It's small based on your need. We could easily shrink here at my house, but even some people who have a five or six, maybe 700 square foot house, they may not be able to. So let's keep that in mind when we talk about tiny house. This is just getting smaller for you. Yeah, I think that when you say tiny house, a lot of things come to mind. I think that because all of us grew up in different size homes, we may have different concepts of tiny now. Your house is quite large, and the house I currently reside in is quite big as well, but I grew up in a 730-foot house, right? and um, that's not a big home. I mean, there was my father, or our father, um, <laughs> my mother, and my sister, and me, and at times, generally a fifth in the basement, you, Uncle Mike, so on and so forth. So uh, we packed a lot of living creatures in that home, and we didn't have a lot of room. Right, right, which... In some cases, people would think it's a tiny house, but it was just a small house with a lot of people in there. Yeah. But it, now, now when you watch TV shows and they talk about tiny houses, those are really designed around the three, 400 square foot or even less at times, even the, the little trailers and things. But when we talk today, I think we should talk about tiny houses as in, in for convenience and cost reduction, all the possible positives it, that happen from living smaller. And so for an example, first things first, who do you think are the people who would, you would expect to choose to live small? 
Well, first and foremost, senior citizens or veterans, maybe that are a little older, that are used to a life where they have less, they're used to small living quarters. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily out of the ordinary for them to only have, let's say, a bed, a dresser, and maybe another room and they've got like a toilet and a stand-up shower and maybe a really small kitchen. I would when, when you say tiny home, I kind of equate it to a studio-style apartment in a city. Everything is kind of centralized in one room. It may be a decent-sized room, but everything is in one area. Like New York City, the efficiency apartments, where you're, the only seclusion spot you have is the bathroom. Everything else is one big room. Yes, it's exactly what comes to mind for me when you say tiny home. And there's other people that applies to, you know, you say, when you say New York City, it instantly makes me think of college kids. Yeah, you know, when you're, when you're going to school, you don't need a lot of space. You don't really have a lot of stuff. So those kinds of places are ideal. Well, and I think you said something there that we should probably touch on. A lot of us are used to having bigger houses because there's been, at least in my life, I grew up believing that you're supposed to accumulate stuff that, you know, the guy who dies with the most toys wins. I've always lived my life up until pretty much recently with the concept of stuff matters. And I think that's where, you know, the larger home, buying a home and not renting all have come into play. I agree, but I look at it like this. Um, we've always been told that we're a hunter-gatherer species. We still hunt and gather, but now we just hunt and gather useless junk. <laughs> well, that's I've never thought of it that way, but that's very accurate. <laughs> you're walking through a store, you see some knick-knack of a pop culture thing you like, a wrestler, a superhero, or maybe, you know, the the mascot for a clothing brand and all of a sudden that's in your hand and you're buying it just because you think it looks cool and it's going to go sit in a shelf in your room or in your dining room or in your living room it's going to collect dust and it's going to sit there for any number of years and it may never be picked up and actually looked at again unless your kids find it interesting and that's that's kind of the way i i i still live my life to some degree like that i'm not going to sit here and paint a picture that i don't because i do well, and there's still a lot of things. If I didn't have this background on here, you would see my nerd wall behind me of a bunch of random things that either were given to me or I've bought that I like the Iron Man stuff. You know, I like certain, I'll call my NASA stuff like that. So I am no better when it comes to it. You say nerd stuff. I am currently surrounded by roughly 200 Godzilla pieces. Um, there's a NASA plaque in front of me and a ton of pro wrestling stuff behind this camera. (laughs) Yeah, um, it's true. Well, see, when you were saying retirees, that, you know, would be someone who'd be a good candidate for a tiny house. You're right. Fixed income. I think teenagers, when they first move out, would be a pretty good candidate for either mobile or tiny house. Absolutely. Young adults who haven't necessarily picked their place yet or where they're going to work or, you know, if they're in college and they're moving after college, starting small, there's a benefit to all of that. My general thought process on it is that unless you're settling down to raise a family in that space, then I think a tiny home is kind of ideal for you. Well, and okay, so you know where I want to retire. Yes, I do. Yeah, I want to go to the big island of Hawaii. It's the nature island. It's it's a nice, slow environment. I love it there. It is the most beautiful place I've ever been. I would say a large chunk of their houses are right on the edge of being considered tiny houses. Those are, you know, four or 500 square feet, and there are some as small as 200 square feet that are on an acre. But they're 
on a slab because the weather there is fantastic. It's almost always 80 degrees, sunny. The house itself really only holds like the uh, a living family room, a small galley kitchen, and a place to sleep with maybe a stall for a toilet. Because on the outside, there's a full kitchen and barbecue on a patio. Your full dining room area is outside under the awning. And your laundry is usually on the other side of the house, outside. Washer, dryer, it's all out there, including your shower. A lot of those places have outdoor showers with uh, basically two little rooms. One room to shower, one room to get undressed and get dressed again. So a lot of those places, if you're talking about different climates, the warmer climates places can get away with it way easier than we could here in Michigan. So when are we moving in? <laughs> that is, everything I do is in preparation for 10 to 12 years to be living on that island. Uh, another reason why I like the concept of Starlink for internet on our other program stuff that we do, which is live launch, because Absolutely. then I can live anywhere and still have high speed. I am really looking forward to that. Um, I can't wait till it's available in this part of Michigan. I would like to have it. I think we're all on the beta. You're signed up for the beta, aren't you? I am signed up for it. I have not heard from them yet. Me either. Uh, They're they're focused on rural areas. But for me, when it comes to retirement time, Jamie and I can move into a much smaller place and get to experience more without too much of a loss of, you know, because the weather there, you have so much outside. But in Michigan, that's just not an option. You live inside. So... Keep that in mind when we talk about going small, but you and I have talked about it before in the past about taking these old malls that have, I mean, let's be honest, the malls around America are slowly dwindling and most of them are dying. Yeah, that's true. I can easily see someone converting those into dorm style apartments, building a community in there, have a medical facility, all kinds of other things inside those same buildings where people can live small if they want to. You know, I've been thinking about that a lot since the last time we discussed it. And yeah, the mall is a great place, but another great one is a school. Um, There's tons of old schools throughout the country that have been closed due to, you know, maybe they built a new one or maybe the district downsized. But a lot of these schools are three, four stories. You know, they're quite large. And there's a lot of wasted space there. And it's three-dimensional space. It's not just a range. It's not just one level. So they could easily be converted into places to live. With, you know, even even places where they have they already have the cafeteria built in, you could take one whole floor and make it into like a medical place where in case something happened, there was someplace to go. Like it's mm-hmm. a really, really, really easy idea to wrap your mind around. And I think, I think maybe we get a warped idea of how many schools are, are closed because we're from the Flint area. And just so, you know, listeners know, about 80% of the schools were shut down over the last five years. And so we see a lot of old school buildings that could be used. I don't know how much that translates over the rest of the nation. My hope is that it doesn't because it didn't help our school situation in this state, but those buildings are absolutely buildings that could be used. Those large um, closed churches are the same way. Any of those large buildings that have these facilities already built into them could be retrofitted pretty easily. Well, that's what I was thinking because, you know, where where I live, 
we've got the schools that have been there for years. But when I was a kid, we had uh, an old high school that was right there on Nichols Road. That was, I think, two and a half, two stories high. And they bulldozed that to the ground and then threw some uh, some double-wide trailers on it. And that's the new alternative bed. They could have just as easily revamped that school and used that. Right, right. And, and you mentioned churches. There's any number of closed churches throughout this country. There's a lot of them. Yeah, and I think as time goes on, this will that will be a thing. I, I do believe old malls, schools, these buildings, there's a need. There's a need there's a big need for the space and low cost housing. And it doesn't mean uh people who can't always afford it would be the only ones there because there'd be I bet you if those things were across the country you'd find a millionaire living in there because they don't want the upkeep of a big house. Well, yeah, you're right. They don't. And a lot of people, I don't think, really want to do upkeep of a big house. Who likes doing dishes and cleaning? I well, mean, I, I did it with the, the Flushing house. So we had, I lived in a, in a ranch-style house on an acre. That acre had surrounding ditches. When it was time to cut the lawn, as you know, because you lived with me for part of this time, it was a weekend experience to cut the lawn, trim everything, cut the ditches. It, yeah. it, it ate up a weekend. It didn't you know so anything else you wanted to accomplish it couldn't have been that weekend every month you know two weekends were eaten up and that's just lawn care that's one of the reasons why i live where i live now with a small patch of land because i don't need to spend all weekend grooming it i can do it in a couple hours and i think that when you talk about small living and minimal upkeep comes into that cleaning the house turns into a you know a 40 minute moment instead of here on all day well, and that's that's a big thing to think about, though. Like your upkeep time, your like I said before, your time is valuable, and how you choose to spend it is equally valuable. So if you choose a huge home, that means huge upkeep. It means a lot of time on lawn. It means snow removal. It means ridiculous heating and cooling bills. It means when something big breaks in the house, there's that much bigger of an expense to get it replaced. Heaters, furnaces, um, air conditioners water heaters, like all that stuff, the bigger you go, the more expensive it gets. Well, and it's, I know before it was popular, you could get efficiencies so cheap. They were very, very inexpensive. Like what could you do if your housing cost was only 20% of what you're paying now? You could do, I mean, you could pay off bills, you could build a business. There's all kinds of things you could do if you weren't just paying. And remember, that's just to be there. There's also electricity, and everything else that comes along with it, heating and cooling, the cost of living in a home is very expensive. If you had those, you know, for an example, those mall style places, heating and cooling would be almost nothing. You're all packed in together, you know, or now if you have a a small tiny house on a piece of land, then it won't take much to heat or cool it because it's so darn small. A body, a human body, this is one of the things I learned in physics, a human body can uh, heat up to 400 square feet in a home. As long as it's not below freezing, your body can raise that temperature level by by enough degrees to be comfortable. So for an example, if it's 60 in the house, just being in the house will help bring it up closer to a comfortable level. There's a lot of money to be saved by living small. Now, there are other problems. Here in Duran, and I know I just found out that some of the individuals on like the planning commission and in Duran listen to our show, so hi. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hello. Know, and, and uh, you know, Jeff will check me if I'm wrong here, but I believe that the ordinance doesn't allow homes to be built that are under 1,200 square feet. So in, um, in our town, they want full-size big houses on small lots. I, I understand that from the tax revenue aspect of it. That makes sense. They want to get paid as a business because it is a business. I don't think it's viable for long-term growth. And I think to have a thriving community, you need new members moving in. You need people that are contributing and working. And not everyone can afford to buy, you know, a 12, 1500 square foot home. And the people, like you and I just discussed a rough, you know, a rough amount or an approximate amount of how much it costs to build mm -hmm. a house. And for what it would cost to build a house that big, you could buy three houses on a road and have money left over. Right, right. That's, it's expensive to build. Well, and so there's a lot of places where what I would like to see is land, like let's say there's five acres in a, in a town off to the side. Instead of someone coming in, buying 100 acres and doing this massive subdivision project, I think it would be really cool in, in just, you know, maybe five or six acres doing a tiny house subdivision, giving that option where, where you're trying to build these houses so they're close to net zero. You're keeping them reasonably cost efficient. And it's a community of tiny houses where you just have a road come off and maybe there's a cul-de-sac with five around there. And then another road with cul-de-sac with five around there kind of situation. I think that needs to be allowed in cities and towns. Well, I think that the when you say that, the easiest way to really reference that is if everyone that's been camping has been, seen those campgrounds where they've got a little section of cabins, and then really a cabin is a tiny home. Yeah, yeah. It's a small house. Usually the, the sleeping quarters are bunked on top of each other, and they're not much more than a couple hundred square feet, and they'll sleep six people. Mm -hmm. um, that's a kind of a good model to look at what you could do with that same concept but in a, in a city i'm not saying you should turn your city into a campground i mean i think that it would look nicer but i think that it's a possibility i mean you could really do some great things with an idea that already exists it's i mean just a little retirement community where there's good walk space where there's a place to ride bikes but the houses are just two three maybe 400 square feet you can do the same. I'm not a fan of a lot of the subdivisions I see now where they've got these 2,000 square foot cookie cutter houses. I always, uh, Jamie picks on me because I call them a witness protection neighborhood because all the houses look identical. All the shrubbery looks identical. No one has any individuality. So I don't necessarily want to see that, but I would love to see much smaller house communities because I think they would fill in pretty quickly. Well, I think they would too. I mean, especially for people that, I mean, look at it this way. You, there's been many times in your life where you've been low income. There's been many times in my life where I've been very low income. As a single person, if someone said, hey, you need a place to stay. We've got a little little house you can rent. You know, it's 250 a month. It, it's got a bedroom, bathroom, kitchen. There's not a lot of space, but it's got everything you need. For 250 or $300 a month, I'd jump all over it. I mean, yeah. it's not going to cost, well, I had an apartment, a small one-bedroom apartment that was approximately 250 square feet. Yeah, that cost was a small me, apartment. Cost me $75 to heat it. Like, that's, that's it. I mean, you, you shrink your carbon footprint, you, but you put so much more of your own uh, money back into your pocket. So you can kind of, you can do more with it. 
like one of the things I've, I'm learning from my wife is because again, I grew up in an era where stuff ruled. What I'm learning from her is experiences. I never would have gone to Hawaii, you know, and yes, it was a honeymoon thing, but I never would have gone. And it is, it was one of the best experiences of my life. I've never felt more connected to nature. And I live in Michigan where there's a lot of wildlife, but it, what it did is it started, it, it reminded me that when I'm done doing all this work, I'm going to want to enjoy these things. There's yeah. a lot of people out there right now that could, that could shrink right down to it. And it wouldn't take much where they wouldn't even have to work much. They would just enjoy. Well, think about, think about how much your time is worth in terms of what you earn. And then compare that to the amount of money you spend every month paying to live life. Not to go out and eat and enjoy luxury things, but just to exist in your home, to pay those bills, to be there, to say that you live at a certain address. Right. If you spend two-thirds or more, I mean, if you spend four-fifths of your income just to exist, then the potential for improvement in quality of life has got to be great. And I'm, I'm saying that, I'm looking at my own life realizing that I've got a lot of wasted money in places it doesn't need to be. Well, it's, uh, I think we talked about this in one of the other shows where I was talk, talking to Aiden and my son about when you work, you're trading time in your life for that, you know, for those finances, for that money. I got to tell you, if, if a lot of these young kids coming out of high school, going into college or coming out of college, they haven't necessarily rooted to a spot yet. Small living would be amazing. I should have done it years and years and years ago because it would have saved a tremendous amount of money. I agree. I'm looking right now around me. There's a number of things I own that I purchased in the last let's say five years, maybe six years. But most of those items are just pop culture knickknacks, plaques on the wall. They serve no purpose, really, just something cool for me to look at. They have no sentimental value. They're just things that I was like, hey, that looks really nifty. That reminds me of this. I should own that. And then I spent $30 or I spent $40. Right. Really hundreds of dollars hanging on the walls around me that is essentially the same as wasted money. Well, and it's funny because it doesn't, it's not just wasted money, but it roots you to one spot. If, for an example, like I always talk about moving because once the kids are old enough, I don't want to take them out of the schools. You know, we want to stay stable during this time. But if it was just the wife and I, most work now happens virtually. It's true. You know, because of, you know, that's the, probably the one real benefit of COVID is that we've proven that we can do our job, you know, from home. But if we could seriously hook the truck to the camper and be anywhere. A matter of fact, I have friends of mine who do work virtually. And when one of the rockets was launching from, and we watched it on live launch, they just drove down there, parked in a campsite, worked all day, went out and experienced and enjoyed the, the, the life of Florida. And when they were done that week, they packed everything back up and drove back home. And, and if it took more than a day, then the next day they just worked on the side of the road until, it was, until their work was done and they got back on the road again. There's no reason why people can't explore and work at the same time. I agree. Uh, my buddy Scott, who for years I made fun of as being the closest thing to a hippie in my generation that I had ever known, uh, sunk a bunch of his money and he bought a school bus and he had it 
I guess retrofitted is the term for it, but you had it gutted and rebuilt. So it's, it's essentially a motorhome. It's this tiny home. Mm -hmm. It's not a small home. I mean, it's the size of a school bus, but he he goes wherever he wants to. And, um, that actually opened up a lot of you know opportunities for him, even including work. You know, he could travel for work now. He doesn't have to be tied down to one space. Right, and all the stuff comes with him when he goes. Yeah. You know, it's not like when I worked at the previous job where I was flying from hotel to hotel to go work on things and bringing only what I could with me. He's bringing his home with him. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, yeah, I do believe that there's there's going to be a change as we continue on because we have to for emissions reasons, for climate reasons, and for scarcity reasons. You know, we don't, we, we certainly don't have the materials that we once thought we did on this planet. We're going to have to make some changes. Tiny living is one of those changes that you're going to see more and more. We see it in countries like Japan, where there's you know, a, a lot of people in a small area. Japan's an island. They're kind of out of room. They can only go up. Right. Well, and when you look at urban planning, in the United States, okay, so when I went to Italy, everything was tiny. You know, you heard me make jokes about it. Like, I barely fit in the showers half the time. Everything in Italy, the roads, the cars, everything was really small. And when some of our employees from Italy came to the United States, that was one of the first culture shocks they had was all this extra space. You could just about get two car, two of their cars in every lane you know, in the United States, the, how big the houses were, were, was almost, it was just like shocking in some cases. Not to say that there isn't larger houses in Italy, it's just not as common. The average quality of living is just different, different expectations, different experiences. And this is a country where we live lives of excess. And the problem is, is we're brainwashed to think that it's never enough. So we look at all the stuff we have and all we see is what we don't have or what we still need or what we, you know, could have gotten with that same thing that we had. But really we have a lot. And most of us in some cases, way more than we need. Right. Well, and that's, you know, part of that whole growing up, believing that stuff mattered, uh, rooting yourself down. But I'll tell you, there is still, a, I mean, there is some, there is some good to rooting in one place. I get to work with, you know, with the city. I've met, I've met wonderful people, but getting married and ha- and seeing the other side of that travel can be really interesting too. I can see a lot of things in this country, and as this, as some things change, I might even be able to do that while I'm still working. Well, I mean, you never know what the future is going to hold. I, I agree with that. And I also think that when it comes to like tiny living and realizing the different changes you can make as the kids grow up and as both of us move forward in our lives, we can be conscientious to make changes that help us live a smaller life. Mm -hmm. Fulfilled life, but a smaller life, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, and the reason why Jamie got the camper is kind of like practice, where we do like to camp. We don't, you know, I am the problem. I am the one who doesn't like to rough it. She will camp in a tent and do all of the, she doesn't need electricity. I'm the bougie one. I'm the one that needs a fan on me at night. I'll be honest. I'm terrible. And (laughs) so camping uh, is, is more challenging for me than it is for her. But the reason why she got the camper is so we could start practicing this and start seeing how do we react in a smaller space together. Because once the kids start getting older and they start moving out, 
I told you, Hawaii in the winter, or the fall in the winter, and traveling the continental U.S. during the summer, visiting family and friends, and looking at large holes in the ground, and Hoover dams, and everything I ever want to see. You say Hoover dams like there's more than one. Well, it's adorable. I know, yeah, there is only one, but but I want to um, see, I want to see America. I want to see, I want to drive around and see the cities and towns and, and visit the places and stay there for a week or stay there for a month or whatever the heck I darn well want to. And I can still work. Well, the way I look at it is that we live in a country that is the bigger portion of a continent. There is so many amazing things here that most of us only seen in textbooks or television or on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And if we can take time to go experience those things, like I would love to see the Grand Canyon one day. That sounds kind of cliche, but I've never seen it. I've heard a lot about it. I've seen it in movies. But there are some things that are just, in my opinion, needed to be experienced, really put into perspective how tiny we really are. Yeah. And I'd love to see a dam. I, I'm speechless when, I, when I'm going over the Mackinac Bridge and I'm looking at the lakes on both sides. Um, I, I get lost to the notion the bridge is five miles long. And, like, I don't matter. Like, as a, as a person, I'm just this tiny little thing. And I'm standing on a structure that hundreds of other tiny little people built on a planet that doesn't know I exist. And I needed to be reminded of that. I can't let my ego take over. Like, I need to be really reminded how, how wondrous this place is that we live. Yeah, it's, it's worth seeing. It's worth, I really want to see a Redwood. I really want to spend time in Maine during the spring and summer. You know, there's things that I just would love to do. I've been to Yellowstone, but I don't remember all of it. I think it'd be nice to go back. It's just, just, if we live smaller and consume less, we can live more. Yeah, I agree. The smaller your life, the better quality of life you'll have. I'm starting to think that. Well, no, I agree. I I think that I have a bad habit of, I see that I need it. I need it. It needs to be mine. I'm I'm still very bad with that. I have a friend of mine who was a huge collector, way bigger than me. And he went through something pretty traumatic. And then he just woke up one day and he just told me, he's like, you know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of things. Now I'd like some memories. And then he spent about six months gutting his collection to nothing other than things he had sentimental connections to. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he went and started traveling the world. And now he's been to Japan a bunch of times and he's done all these great things. He never would have did if he would have still been spending hundreds of dollars on toys and collectibles and going to different things that he shouldn't have been going to. Well, and it's not necessarily bad. We all make our own choices. The concept is, you know, we're here talking about realistic sustainability. Is it sustainable to constantly buy plastic molded items? Probably not, but it is part of your life. And if that's what you choose to do, it's when we don't think about it. When we make these subconscious decisions that hinder the rest of our lives. It took a long time before I realized, matter of fact, some of it came from college when we learned about opportunity costs, you know, and every dollar spent has an opportunity cost on what it could have been spent for. And man, I never really lined up what I bought against, first of all, the time it took to earn it. And second of all, what I could have experienced instead. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So a lot of the things that I own were expensive when bought and depreciate with value as most things do. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, depreciate with time as most things do. So 
the things I buy are just because I like them, not because I think they're going to be a good investment for the future. I just think they're cool, which is a terrible business model if you want to have money for later on in life. I'm looking at a bunch of action figures that I have that were $26 a piece. I have, let's say about 14 of them. So that's roughly 350 to 360 before you pay tax. And that $300 took a solid 15, 18 hours of my life to earn. So I, I, I took the, the time I spent at my job, my place of employment for a couple of days and just kind of, you know, threw it away on plastic. Well, like for an example, like everybody who knows me knows that we have live launch also, but that's because I have a passion for aerospace and I've still never seen a launch. How many things have I done that has handicapped my ability when I really could have just packed everybody up and went, come on, we're going to Florida. I want to watch this launch. Especially now I have a truck, I have a camper and I have a Wi-Fi connection to do my job. I don't have filing cabinets here with specific things that couldn't come with me. It is this is a itch in my brain that I haven't been able to fix yet, but I could just as easily go see a launch. It's, yes, just, you it's just breaking that mindset, making the changes and, you know, changing the way we do things. And that's really what we talk about when we talk about realistic sustainability is just changing our mindset on all of this. No, yeah, you're right. And a lot of it, a lot of the stuff we discuss, I feel, is kind of commonsensical that you don't know, but the moment it's brought to your attention, it clicks. You're like, oh, yeah, I get that, and I think it's a good idea. Some of it's a little more touchy. This is a little more touchy. This is really confronting yourself with the decisions you've been making your whole life that aren't things you do throughout your day, but things you actually enjoy. And you question yourself and say, well, what do I enjoy about this? And is this pertinent to who I am as a person? Now. I can't speak for everyone, but I can tell you that I will always enjoy Godzilla and other things like Marvel superheroes. I will. I find them enjoyable. I don't necessarily think I'm going to own any of this stuff when I'm 80 years old. But if I were to take that trip, if I were to, you know, go to see a launch or if I were to go to Hawaii or wherever I decide to take my family, I will have those memories and those experiences until I die. And that means more to me. It pertains more to me as a person that anything can ever buy in a store that has a, a fancy sticker on it. Yeah, I mean, all of us will make our own decisions. The goal is, in this show, to at least spur the thought, what if? What if I made this change? What would it do? That's why we always talk about getting just slightly better each day, just doing one more thing. I don't know if you saw it when you were here, me bricking my plastic, which is putting all of the plastic that my household has in a two liter bottle. My wife is finding this very humorous. She has many funny things to say about it, but I'm just trying to do a little better each day. And then this way, plastic doesn't end up in the stomach of an animal. It just gets packed as tightly as possible into a two liter, locked into it. If I can find a use for a heavy two liter somewhere, I'll use it on the property. If not, when I dispose of it, all that plastic's locked up. It doesn't get spread all across the world. So this kind of stuff is the same. We have this mental, we have a way of life and we have to at least start thinking about how can we shrink it down. And I think once you start thinking about how it shrinks, you start seeing how it improves life too. I agree. But I, I will say that when you start realizing as your life is shrinking, instead of looking at it as shrinking it becomes more focused you start taking in more things 
at a detailed level than you would. Like I like I said time and time again, I'm surrounded by junk. And you walk in, it's oh, this is cool. Oh, that's nifty, but none of it means anything. Yeah. I'm not getting a story about any of this stuff in twenty years. But you know it'd be really cool. It'd be really cool to take my kids to experience something that none of us have ever seen and see how it influences them. Not only do I get to make a memory with my family, but I get to watch the sense of wonder literally firsthand in someone else. I get to see the spark of life, just fire. I mean, mm-hmm. in their eyes, which I'm never going to get out of a video game or a Godzilla statue. Right. Or even them getting a video game. Like, for an example, next summer, we plan on going back down to, I think it was Indiana, where all these caves were. Well, okay. this time, This time, we're taking the kids. You know, instead of, you know, buying something new here, we're just going to take the trip down to Indiana. We'll hook up the camper and stay for a weekend, maybe a little bit, maybe a four-day weekend. And let them see nature in a different way. Let them go somewhere else, experience something else, and see how they like it. It's got to be better than a, a big screen TV. In the long run, it for sure will be. Um, I don't know how many kids would understand that trade-off at their current <laughs> age, but hindsight's twenty twenty. And looking back, the best memories I have when I was a kid were when I went and did things that pertain to who I am now. Not things that were necessarily things I even wanted to do that you don't really know the experiences when you're having them that are going to shape you as a person but when you look back you definitely see the value and I see a lot of value in the things I went and did and none of it involved going to Target, Walmart or any big box store but it did involve things like camping involved things like hiking like exploring like going fishing with my my grandfather like there's lots of things in nature that we did that that hit me to the core and I'm thankful beyond belief for those moments. Yep. And I want to instill those moments into my kids. And shrinking, shrinking cost in any way, either through tiny, going in tiny for tiny housing, which is not everybody's cup of tea, but reducing your energy consumption, reducing water consumption, anything that has a cost. Buying less helps feed that opportunity to have that experience. I completely agree. I was going to say, I know I have a bad habit of apologizing for always linking things back to money, but it's hard not to when this is what we talk about every time. It's hard to not look at the financial side of it when it influences so much of our life. And it doesn't actually have to in some way. This is a great example as to where it doesn't have to. You don't have to live a life of excess. You don't have to spend your money on all this stuff you don't need. You can put it towards real life, experiencing things in real time. And living. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. So hopefully this episode got at least some of you thinking, what is the one thing I can reduce? Maybe some of you have a big home and you would like to visit the world. And you, you think that maybe shrinking down will help you out. We appreciate you listening. I'm Mike. I'm Nick. And we'll see you next week. If you have the desire to be sustainable but are unsure of what can go in the recycling bin or you're constantly forgetting the reusable grocery bags, check out Starting Sustainability, the podcast. Don't be frustrated or confused anymore. 
Starting Sustainability was created to help those beginning their sustainable journey. Each week, we give ideas on simple concepts you can easily incorporate into your current lifestyle. We also share stories of what works and what doesn't, so you don't have to waste your time and money. Check out Starting Sustainability, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.